0: This is a great opportunity to worship God from where you are. Let your homes become a house of worship. And we're going to sing some songs together this morning that we pray will minister to your heart. So as we sing these songs, we invite you to sing with us and let this whole morning just be a time where these songs can do work in your life. Here we go.
1: Old Say uh of-
2: in the same
0: Alone, faultless stand before
1: the throne,
0: Christ. Father, Lord, as we come before you this morning, we pray that these words would ring true, Lord, that we would trust in you, that we would plant firmly on the rock of Jesus Christ, Lord, that we would be anchored to it, that everything we do would reflect you, that you would flow through us, Lord, that we would feel your presence in our life, Lord, and we would be drawn to you, Lord. This morning, I pray for every heart that is watching I pray for hearts that may be distant from you, Lord, that you would draw them to you, Lord. I pray for hearts that may not know you, that you would reveal yourself to them, Lord. I pray for healing. I pray for hope. I pray for joy. I pray for restoration, Lord, that you would move throughout this morning's service, Lord, in a way that only you can. So again, we exalt you and we lift your name and we thank you for an opportunity to sing your praises, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Church you are very aware that the world around us is rapidly, rapidly falling apart and things are happening in ways that we can't even understand. And this morning, we wanted to take a moment to reflect on that. And I want you to think of one thing. I want you to think of Christ. The price that he paid. The commandment that he gave to his disciples. Love others as I have loved you. That is what we are called to do as followers of Christ. We're called to love. We're going to share a song with you this morning that speaks to that very truth. That song is rooted in Psalm 91 that says this, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. In today's world, to put it simply, evil is in the business of accusation. But God is in the business of raising up testimony, of revealing himself to people. Testimony of who he is and what he has done. And we can be a part of that. This song talks about how God is a defender, how his love is a defender, how the love of God is not just a defense, but it's really the only defense that we have, the only defense that we can stand on against the darkness of the world and even against the inconsistencies of ourselves. So again, as we go into a time of reflection, let these words penetrate your heart. Maybe you're wrestling with these things. Where do I stand on things? And from my heart, I would share with you, it is okay to stand firmly on what Christ would stand on as followers. For me, I'm a chaplain with Lamore Police Department, and I can stand firmly knowing that I love my brothers and sisters who are in the police department, in the police force, and it is not good when a police officer dies because of someone's evil. I can stand on that. I can also stand on the fact that racism is a sin and it is not good in this world. And any of my brothers and sisters who feel that racism, I stand firmly on Christ because he is at the center of who I am. And through it all, the love that I have should penetrate all hearts and work in a way that people are drawn to the one, Christ So as we sing this song, let these words ring in your ears and let them be a reminder that his love defends all and that we as believers should love.
2: You are my joy You are my song You are the well The one I'm drawing from You are my refuge My whole life long Where else would I go? Surely my God is the strength of my soul Your love defends me Your love defends me And when I feel like I'm all all alone Your love defends me Your love defends me Day after day Night after night I will remember you're with me in this fight. Although the battle it rages on, the war's already won. I know the war's already won. Surely my God is the strength of my soul. Your love defends love defends me and when i feel that like i'm all alone your love defends me your love defends me we sing hallelujah
1: you're my portion my side.
2: Your love defends me Your love defends me And when I feel like I'm all, all alone Your love defends me Your love defends me Surely my God is the strength of my soul Your love defends me Your love defends me And when I feel like I'm all alone Your love defends me Your love defends me We
1: sing
0: Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, as we pause for a moment this morning, before we move forward, let this song have worked in our lives, Lord. I pray that we would reflect on those words, Lord. That maybe even throughout this week, we would pray that this nation would be restored by your hand, Lord, that the things that are happening in our world, Lord, you would be our refuge, our strength, that we would find joy in the morning, Lord, because we know that you are in control of all things, Lord. Help us to be part of the solution. Help us to be examples of love to our community. Help us to be examples of who Christ is, Lord. Let us be your hands and feet, Lord. And again, we thank you for this opportunity to lift your voice up to you, Lord, to give you praise, Lord, and pray that you would move, Lord. Speak powerfully through your word this morning, Lord, as a message is delivered, Lord, and we look forward to the results. So we give you praise in advance for the mighty work you're gonna do, and we lean on the strength that only comes from you. And thank you for being a God of love and a God who restores and a God who saves, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.
3: South Valley, thank you so much for joining us for SVCC Online. It's our hope that as you participate in the service today that you are feeling the blessing of the Lord on your heart. And as you worship him, that you are just filled with joy. And we just have a few things to share with you before we proceed with the remainder of the service. The first thing is we are having another regathering service of 100 people. And if you have not yet been to the first two regathering services, we would love for you to sign up svcclemore.org slash register. That is going to be available for sign-up tomorrow, which is Monday, at about noon. And so just keep an eye out on social media as well as the emails. Uh, Otherwise, you have the link right here, svcclemore.org slash register, and you can sign up for that. We're going to continue to be offering online services as well throughout the, the coming weeks and such, but we're also trying to make sure that we are fixating our eyes on that goal of trying to offer more services as we work through those regathering plans and such. And the second thing is that if you call SVCC your home, we are so grateful for the many ways in which you have continued your giving. I just want to remind you that giving is still possible online, SVCCLemoore.org. Go to the website and click on Donate on the top, and you can donate that way, or you can go to our uh, church office, which is right here in front of the, the lawn, the house that's on the lawn. And you can put it right through the door. There's a slot there. It goes right into a secure box uh, for you to be able to give. So we thank you in advance for your giving. And then just uh, the final thing before we head into the remainder of the service is um, we, we don't want to just simply just allow for moments in our lives to pass by. Um, we are living in a pivotal time right now in our world, and it is a crucial and critical opportunity that we have as believers to be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus to uh, a community that is feeling uh, the weight of oppressions. specifically our brothers and sisters in the black community that are feeling that weight. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, I've been continually processing and praying about how I can actively make a difference. And I continually come back to, well, what do I feel Jesus would do in this instance? If he was here in the flesh before my very eyes and able to step into whatever position he could potentially step into, what would he do? And um, based on what I've I've learned in, in my time in his word and learning about his character and based on what, I've experienced in my personal relationship with him, I feel that he wouldn't shy away from this. I feel that he would step right into the center of the, the, uh, the, oppressor, the oppressor's pain um, and of those who are being oppressed and, and, and assuring them of his love for them. I think he would be holding them. I think he'd be uh, right in the middle of uh, their pain and wiping their tears and acknowledging them as someone who matters. Um, I think that he would likely be at the protests, those peaceful protests. He'd probably be giving water. He'd probably be giving food. He'd probably be crying out alongside uh, the community that's feeling the weight of that oppression. And I feel like he would truly be defending this population of people, our brothers and sisters in the black community who are feeling this way right now. And as I think about that further, I wonder, well, how can I have a heart like that? How can I have a heart like Jesus? And I think about the example that he fit, he he just modeled so well in his word, and that is establish relationships with people. And he didn't just do it with people who were the same as him. In fact, he did the opposite. He engaged with people who were very different. You look at his disciples, it was kind of like this motley crew of people of tax collectors and bankers and farmers and shepherds and a betrayer. And he built healthy relationships with those people, even though they may have sat differently on specific issues, uh, topics, or stances politically or in faith or whatever that might have looked like, Jesus spent time engaging with people who were different than he was. And that challenges me to think the same because I feel in the biblical narrative that in doing so, when Jesus did that, he allowed an opportunity for hearts to be softened For the lord and today that application stands with if we were to step into that space and to build on that empathy and compassion to the oppressed community or just anyone who's different from us in general we create an environment for the holy spirit to move and to soften hearts and orient hearts to the king of kings and the lord of lords And so what does that look like for you? I I don't know. I know for me there are certain things that God is unveiling in my heart and certain biases and certain feelings that I have developed over time. But our prayer for you is that you would bring yourself to the Lord, to the feet of Jesus, to figure out how you can also not shy away from what is happening and step into that and be a voice and an encouragement to those who truly need to hear it. And so as we proceed with this service, we pray that um, what continues to happen here in in the context of the message or the worship or this message or the announcements would bring you to a point of just acknowledging your need for the Lord and how he wants to use you today. We don't know what that looks like, but the Lord does. And so um, we're going to get into the service, but one final thing before that is we just wanted to remind you that. We're still a church family that are um, navigating the world in different ways. And whether that's in um, seriousness or in silliness, uh, we want to make sure that you have the chance to be able to continue to hear from our church family. So we're going to move right on along to the Curtis family. And they're going to just share a little bit about how <laughs> they're navigating life. And I think you're going to find that it's a, a pretty joyful video. So thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right.
4: Oh, I think it's
3: Stayed up for right,
4: you ready to do this video? Are mm-hmm. you gonna really do it like that? Alright. I guess.
2: Just come as you are, right?
4: All right? I just closed that deal that I've been working four days on.
2: Oh, yeah. right. I'm so exhausted from that one.
4: Hey, good morning, South Valley.
2: Hey guys.
4: My name is Thomas Curtis, and this is my my wife, Josephine. Um we have uh, four beautiful kids, and three of them are girls, and one of them is a, is a one-year-old bo- our son, and uh, we're just going to spend some time with you guys here.
1: We have a dog, too.
4: Yeah, yeah and we have a dog. We do have a dog. Um, really not, honestly, not a lot has changed here at the Curtis house, other than me working a lot more. I changed um, my shower cap. My wife...
3: It needs to
5: be purple.
4: ...gets to stay at home and, and hang out and... Yeah, gets to uh, surf surf the tube and, you know, watch Netflix all day while I work. I prefer Hulu, but, yeah. So, you know, other, uh, other than that, honestly, I mean, our lives haven't changed very much, right? So, I mean... It's fine. The kids are doing their thing. They have their computers. Their teachers are teaching them they're doing great yeah liam's getting big yeah he's getting big he's learning how to swim yeah wait so what you know when when i learn about you know marriage and and things like that
1: it's great it is great
4: <laughs> yeah i mean i gotta it's really lovely it's just going great yeah just yeah, got something in my eye I like that You know, I wish things were like this all the time. Yeah. Have a great day, South Valley. We love you guys. Bye. Love you guys. Get back to work. I'm going to go take a nap. All right.
3: Can you miss some more water first?
5: Yes. Hello, South Valley family. I sure wished I could say it was good to see you, but we're going to have to settle for it's good to see me for a little bit longer. Glad you're able to join us today. I know most of you have been following the news, probably watching too much news, but I don't know if you guys heard the story that came out today about this thief who, who broke into a store and stole a calendar. Yeah, he got 12 months. Well, when asked why he did it, he said he felt weak and was looking for a date. We have got to get a laugh track in this place because that was funny. And I'm just going to believe by faith you're laughing at this or at least groaning. Well, I'd want you to know that had absolutely nothing to do with what I want to talk about this morning. I just wanted you to have something to remember by Wednesday. So, if you're so inclined, get yourself a Bible and you're going to find the Old Testament book of Malachi. The Old Testament book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 3, just looking at verses 16 through 18. God has always chosen to do His work through the few. When God called Israel, this young nation of Israel, and He, He brought them out of Egyptian bondage, Moses told the people this, The Lord did not set His love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. God, you would would think, if He wanted a nation for Himself, He would have chosen the one who had an innumerable host, but He chose a very small, few people and made them into a nation. You go on through the Scriptures and you, you find a man by the name of Gideon, And God called on Gideon to lead Israel against a group of people called the Midianites. And they numbered as grasshoppers of the field, just an innumerable host. But here is how reluctantly Gideon felt about this call to lead the people of Israel against Midian. So Gideon said to the Lord, oh, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Again, God does his greatest work through the few. And so what happens is, is God tells him to gather you an army, and he's only able to get 32,000 people. Now, that sounds like a lot. But it's really not that much when you consider that kings in years down the road were able to muster an army of 100,000 or more. So, this is a relatively few amount of people who are willing to take on the Midianite army. But there is something that goes on, and he begins to go through this thinning down process. God says, Listen, there's too many people, there's just too many. So, here's, here's what you're going to do you're just going to ask everybody point blank, Are you afraid to go into battle? If you are, no harm, no foul, go on back home. And so Gideon, no doubt reluctantly, uses that as the criteria. And the Bible says that 22,000 of that 32,000 went home. So now he's left with 10,000. And he goes through another process of thinning them down. God says, what I want you to do is I want you to take those 10,000 men and I want you to watch them. Because when they go down to the water to get a drink, some of them are going to get on all fours and they're going to lap the water up like a dog laps water. And when you see that, set them aside. But some of them are going to come down and get down on one knee and they're going to cup their hands into the water and bring it up to their mouth to drink it. I want you to set those aside. And so he does that. And only 300 brought the water up to their mouth, and so the 9,700 went home. Now, he is left from 32,000 down to an army of 300 men. Folks, that is less than 1% of what he started with. But God then gives him the reason for thinning down the ranks. And the Lord said to Gideon, this is in Judges 7-2, the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me. (laughs) Gideon's probably thinking, they're not too many for me. But he says, they're too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. And here's the reason. Lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my own hand has saved me. God says, we're going to do this, But we're going to do it with a few, not with many. Undoubtedly, years down the road, King Saul's son, Jonathan, a great man of God, he undoubtedly knew the story of Gideon because he and his armor-bearer were were going along and they came across a, a garrison of the Philistines. And Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. He undoubtedly knew the story of Gideon and the success he had with 300 men against an innumerable Midianite host. Another great illustration of God doing something great through a few rather than the multitude is is the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 18 who stood against the 450 prophets of Baal And God showed Himself strong there. Now those are just a few of the illustrations you could could use through the Scriptures of showing how God often chooses, always chooses to use the few, the minority, the, the remnant of His people to do His greatest work. The Apostle Paul, he said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26. For you see your calling... That no flesh should glory in His presence. That essentially is the same reason the Lord gave to Gideon for cutting his 32,000 man army down to a mere 300 men. God chooses to work through a faithful few. When you get to Malachi, in Malachi's day, and this this is the last book of the Old Testament, but by Malachi's day... The people of God, Israel, had drifted far from the standards set by God in his law. They had become very empty in their their worship. It had a hollow ring to it. Uh, it, Judaism had become just a lifeless, mundane, boring experience to them. And, And as we look at it, before we get into the, the, the verse that we're going to look at, let me just give you some context. That's always so important when you're studying the Bible. But let me just kind of build into this and show you what the problem was that Malachi, the prophet, had to address. Right off the bat in chapter 1, verse 2, God tells them, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? So you remember what Moses had told Israel way back? The Lord has set His love upon you. Not because you were mighty, not because there were many of you. He just chose you. It had gotten to the point where they questioned the character of God. God doesn't love us. He, has, he doesn't love us. So they first of all had become cynical about the very character, about the very nature of God. They held very little reverence him, for Him because in Malachi chapter 1 verse 6 it says this, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am the master, where is my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts to you priests who despise my name. Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? Folks, there's a truth that goes like this. We will eventually live out what we believe to be true of God. And they had already failed in that they questioned His character. They questioned His love. And so in questioning the very nature and character of God, of course the natural result of that is they're going to have very little reverence for God at all. And what it then does, it shows up in the way they worship. Verse 7 You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? Well, by saying, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? I mean, Malachi's message is basically to confront this widespread apathy and and indifference to God. And he warns that God is going to severely chasten them if they do not take His message to heart. And then in chapter 3, Malachi, what he does is he just sort of summarizes the characteristics of those who dishonor God. Look at verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? Well, you've said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? Folks, they had not kept his ordinance. Isn't it amazing how we can deceive ourselves he, he's already said, you offer the blind and the lame as a sacrifice. They knew better than that. They were to bring an unblemished sacrifice. But what they were doing is they were, they were cheating. I'm not going to give the Lord the best lamb. There's one right here that can't see out of one eye. Let's give that to the Lord. Let's give the Lord less than our best. shows a lack of reverence for God. And it shows up in their worship. And in verse 15, so now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Look, God doesn't care. We can do whatever we want. Now just reading those few passages, you get kind of a sense of just how far Israel had drifted from her relationship with God. But as is always the case, God maintains a remnant of people a faithful few who still love Him and desire to honor Him with their lives. Now they're by far the minority, but there will always be those who in the midst of of corruption, in the midst of pandemonium, uh, in the midst of hardship are going to maintain a genuine love and reverence for God. And we're introduced to that faithful remnant in chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, I want to show you three characteristics of God's faithful remnant. First of all, their hearts were moved by the fear of God. Their hearts were moved by the fear of God. Look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened. And heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. So, folks, they've be they feared God. They'd heard this message of God's impending judgment. He was going to severely chasten the people. They've heard Malachi's message. But as is so often the case, When everybody hears the same message, only a few seem to respond the right way. And they began to fear. They had a reverence for God. And that produces some very important things in our life. When we fear God, first of all, fear produces obedience. It produces obedience. It says this about Noah, whom God commissioned to build that ark. And it says, by faith, in Hebrews 11:7, 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. It was a fear of God that drove Noah to obey God, to do something as outlandish as build a boat in the desert, having never even seen rain. In response to the Pharaoh's command uh, to, to drown all of the Hebrew male infants in Exodus 1.17, it says this, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. It was the fear of God that produced obedience. Abraham, another good illustration of this, he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac as per the Lord's instructions. But Genesis twenty-two twelve 12 says, And He said, Do not lay your hand upon the lad, or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from Me. You see, true fear of God, reverence for God, is going to begin by producing obedience in our lives. But it also produces integrity. We begin to do things the right way for the right reason. Nehemiah is a great illustration of this. Nehemiah, as you know, he was charged with, with, with going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, a monumental task. His leadership skills were invaluable to that project. He came in and just sort of assessed the situation and, got the people together and began rebuilding it. And of course he began to be the the governor uh, of Jerusalem. But it says in Nehemiah 5.15 that the former governors who were before me, this is Nehemiah telling you this, the governors who were before me, they laid burdens on the people. They took from them bread and wine besides 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants bore rule over the people. But look at this, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Listen, I didn't take advantage of people who were oppressed. I didn't take advantage of of people who were poor and just take more from them than what I needed. You see fear of God produces obedience but it also produces integrity. And thirdly I would say godly fear also produces genuine worship, something that was missing. In Malachi's day. Psalm chapter 5 verse 7, but as for me I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy in fear of you I will worship towards your holy temple. So folks one of the characteristics of God's faithful remnant was that their hearts were moved by a fear of God. But secondly Their minds were filled with thoughts of God. Again, verse 16 says that those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord listened, heard them. A book of remembrance was written before Him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on His name. You see, one of the characteristics of the faithful remnant is they are concerned about the name of God. You see, they're they're not going to slander his character by saying, God, you don't love me. If you loved us, why are you allowing this? No. They meditate on his name. Meditating on God's name, listen, it means that you consider everything you do in light of what you know to be true about God's nature. When we pray in Jesus' name, And we close our prayers in in Jesus' name. That is not just a a, a, a magical phrase that gets God to do what we just told Him we wanted Him to do. When we say in Jesus' name what we are saying is we believe that we are praying and what we are praying for is consistent with what we know to be true about Jesus' nature and His will. To pray in Jesus' name is to say, I believe this is consistent with who Jesus is. That's why it's so important that we meditate on God, that we fill our minds with thoughts of God. Eastern mysticism promotes meditation as an an effort to empty your minds. You know, you've seen the the people sitting cross-legged on the floor holding their fingers going, um. And they're promoting, they're saying you need to empty your mind, but for the believer, it's the very opposite. Meditation is not the emptying of the mind, but rather the filling of the mind with proper thoughts. Think about it this way. Meditation is simply focused thinking. I teach this in my 201 class. To to tell people, you you need to get your mind centralized around the things of God. Focus on God. Now let me ask you something. Anyone listening to this running out of things to worry about these days? No. Every time you turn on the television, every time you read the news on the internet, you can add to your list of things that perhaps you, you want to worry about. Well, if you're one who is given to worry, I want you to be encouraged today that you can meditate. You're a natural. Because worry is just negative meditation, isn't it? When you're worrying about something, what are you doing? You're filling your mind with something that is causing you a measure of concern. And if all you're feeding your thoughts on these days is the pandemic and the pandemonium, It's going to be no wonder that you're a basket case and that you're running around with a heavy heart and a heavy spirit. Get your mind on the things of God. Meditating, folks, is essential if we're going to have God's peace in the midst of the pandemonium and the pandemic. God is still on the throne. Meditate on that. Keep your mind on Him. The Prophet Isaiah said this. Good memory verse for you, by the way. Isaiah 26, verse 3. I didn't put this on the screen. Write it down. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Get your mind focused on God because the truth of the matter Is we tend to become whatever it is we think about the most. It affects our minds. If our thoughts dwell on the negative aspects of life, on all the the horrible things that are going on around the world, if that's all we're soaking into our brains, it's no wonder. It's no wonder we worry and fret and lose sleep and are agitated. We'll become very negative and very cynical and very critical. That's what happened to the people in Malachi's day. That's how come you haven't loved us, God. You don't love us. If you loved us, you wouldn't be allowing whatever. They had quit meditating. They quit quit walking according to truth and begun walking according to the prevailing spirit of their day. If our thoughts dwell on negative aspects of life, we're gonna become as negative and critical and cynical as anything. Proverbs twenty three seven: As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think about is what you become. If you want God's peace in the midst of problems, then you need to focus your mind on God and what you know to be true about Him. Paul would put it this way in Romans twelve two: Be transformed. By the renewing of your mind. And meditation is simply part of that renewing process. When you meditate on the Lord. When you fill your mind with thoughts of God. Folks that's the way God renews your mind. He replaces those anxious thoughts with good thoughts. With peace. He will keep in perfect peace. Them whose mind is stayed on Him. Because we trust Him. Paul told the Philippian believers be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus and then he just says let me give you some illustration on how this works. Verse 8, finally brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, think on these things. If there's anything virtuous, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The faithful remnant will fear God and they'll meditate on the things of God. As we Think deeply about the Lord and and His Word. We become more and more and more like Him. If you want to become more like Christ, then you have to meditate. You have to focus your thoughts on Him. And folks, as the faithful remnant of Malachi's day heard the prophets' strong words of judgment, they were obviously concerned. Who wouldn't be? They were concerned about the coming judgment of God and what He was going to bring on the disobedient and the apathetic people around them. But their their hearts were not only moved by a fear of God, and not only were their minds filled with thoughts of God, but thirdly, their lives were given to the service of God. Look at verse 17. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. Don't you love that? They belong to God. This is is His faithful remnant. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day when I make them my jewels. You're going to adorn God. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. So another characteristic of God's faithful remnant was that they genuinely served God. They didn't serve themselves, unlike the people of Malachi's day who said, I'm not giving up that beautiful lamb, I'll give the one that's lame, I'll give the one that's blind. They were serving themselves, not God. I mean, this verse in Malachi, verse 17 and 18, it, it draws the contrast between the genuine servers and the false servers that Malachi has spoken against in his writing. Because, remember what Malachi told him? God speaking to Malachi, he said, your words have been harsh against me. You've heard people just blaspheme God. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? And you have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is there if we've kept His ordinance? There's no benefit in obeying Him. You see what happened? The remnant, they faithfully served Him. With genuine service, not self-service. Jesus Himself warned against false service that's aimed toward Him. In Matthew 7, verse 21, familiar passage, but look at it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What does that mean? It means those who obey. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, and this is terrifying I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Folks, I am glad that our God reserves a faithful remnant. And I hope that you're a part of that. I hope you're living your life obeying God out of a reverential fear for Him. I hope you're keeping your mind on the things of God and not soaking in like a sponge all of the sludge that's coming out of the media these days. If you're focusing on that, can I encourage you to fill your mind with truth about God. Be given over to service to Him. And folks, there's no lack of opportunity to serve Jesus these days. We have families hurting all across the world. Just in our city alone, the law enforcement men and women who have been called to the front lines of some of the most dangerous places in the state right now. Is there a way that you can serve them by praying for them? If you know them personally by helping and encouraging and doing whatever you can. There's no lack of ministry opportunity. Just because we're not meeting in a building doesn't mean that we give up serving Jesus, does it? God always maintains a remnant, a faithful few, because God chooses to do His greatest work through the few. Let me close with a great quote. I don't know who who wrote it, I just had this in my notes, my, my, my files for years, but this is so good. Quote, there is a strong and solid principle that whenever the majority of the people of God fail to carry out God's purpose, God comes in to have a recovery. His recovery is always with the minority, with a remnant of overcomers, not with the majority. So I would say to you today, fear God. Walk in obedience and integrity and in genuine worship. Get your mind where it needs to be. Focusing on God. Staying on God. And then keep serving Him. There's no lack of ministry opportunity. Be creative in how you can still impact your world for Jesus Christ. I hope you're encouraged today. May the Lord bless you. Have a good and godly week.